Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guests this week are Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni. Their voices are the first that many NASCAR fans and those in the industry hear during the course of a weekday morning. Mike and Pete host the popular show, The Morning Drive, which airs from 7 to 11 a.m. on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's NASCAR channel. SiriusXM has good NASCAR programming throughout its lineup and does a fine job of interviews with many of the major players in NASCAR, but I think the morning drive is the show that really sets the tone of a lot of NASCAR conversations on many days. Partly that's because of its placement batting leadoff, but I also think it's a credit to the two guys who host the show. Mike and Pete have been partners for nearly seven years, and they have an excellent rapport. There is a certain yin and yang to their personalities. And we explore that during our conversation, as well as how they get along off the air. Unsurprisingly, they are very good friends. We also touch on their philosophy for doing the show and their favorite elements, how much NASCAR blowback they get when they touch on controversial topics and ask tough questions, and how often Bagman doesn't wear pants while doing the show. Many thanks to Daniel Norwood at SiriusXM NASCAR Radio for helping coordinate this. Uh, they are mentioned during the show, but thanks as well to producer Dominic DeFruccio and Sammy Agee, who uh, work every day on the morning drive. You hear their voices along with Mike and Pete's on the show as well. And we are also very grateful to Ryan Horn at the Motor Racing Network, as well as Rich Culbreth and Craig Moore. MRN allowed me to use its studio so we could get a clean soundboard recording with Mike and Pete uh, taping directly after one of their shows. After our segment with Mike and Pete, stick around for Chris Lees. He's a researcher at NBC Sports. Chris will stop by to put the wins by Alexander Rossi and Martin Truex Jr. on Sunday into historical and statistical perspective, as he always does so well with bringing stats uh, to NASCAR America. Chris is the person who does the This Day in NASCAR History feature that you sometimes see on the program. We appreciate you listening. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes or send me feedback on Twitter, that's at Nate Ryan, about the show. Whether it's guest suggestions or format ideas, I'm always interested. 
So without further ado, here's our conversation with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni. All right, joined now by Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni, who are the voices that you hear every morning on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Normally, they are the ones who are in charge of the mics. Today, I'm going to be the one asking the questions, and I'm really, really looking forward to this. have been for quite a while. First of all, thanks for, for joining me, guys. Appreciate it. Well, I'm not looking forward to it because I know the grilling <laughs> you put those people through in that media center or in that garage. Yeah. As long as you don't refer to us as a Byzantine empire, I'm good with this podcast, quite frankly. <laughs> if only you could see my laptop here in the list of questions that we've <laughs> assembled. Uh, thankfully, we're going to start with one of the easy ones. And this is something I've heard you guys talk about a lot, but I don't know if I've ever had the chance to follow up with either of you about. I want to go back to May 2009. Uh, that was an extremely difficult month for Mike Bagley, dealing with the, the death of co-host David Poole. He handled it admirably and deftly and with a plum. He, he kept the train on the tracks and and kept this show uh, going without a hitch somehow, despite everything that was, was happening. Um, and then he did a show with Pete Pistoni, and it was magical. And I've heard you guys both say that you guys knew immediately that you had a rapport that would work with each other and you'd be able to do this show. What was it that told you that there was a rapport there? Well, for me, I had the, to your point, the rotisserie of co-hosts. It's like once David passed, we went into a period where I think we finished the end of the week and it was just me. And then we started putting in uh, replacement host after replacement host and, and folks would take their take their turn. And while at that moment I wasn't thinking about, oh, could this one be the next one or this one be the that one or, or that one be the next one? Um, it was it was I hadn't even thought about that until I worked with Pete and I got halfway through that show that day. I don't remember the exact date, but I, I got—I remember thinking to myself and saying, you know what, this is the one right here. But it's like I, I need to kind of think about it and all that. But just the instant chemistry that he and I had, we had the same sense of humor and the like. And for me, it was just it just was casual. It wasn't forced. It wasn't contrived. It was just two guys sitting down talking about racing. And I had that instantaneous comfort, Pete. What do you think? Well, I had been co-hosting. We think about all that. Well, Dan, that was pretty good. What he said, Nate, next question. Um, no, you know, it's funny. I had been uh, filling in on the channel on weekends and stuff. As a matter of fact, I think you and I probably worked a weekend show once or twice ourselves, Nate, and then they asked me to fill in in, in David's passing, and uh, I, I felt exactly the same way. The, the comfort, I think, is the, the key word there, uh, and the same sensibility. I think I – think we try to have a lot of fun on the show. I know there are things that we have to deal with that are serious, and it's a sport, you know, and, and there are topics that sometimes can't always be just fun in games. But I do think it's a morning show, and it felt like a morning show. When we, when we started to work together, we were having fun. We were hitting the topics. We were talking to people, and it didn't feel like work. And I probably shouldn't say that out loud because the bosses will hear that and <laughs> well, say, okay, well, I'm not going to pay anymore. Yeah, but it just, it just felt comfortable. I think that's the key word, Nate. Well, and here's the interesting thing, Nate, is uh, we went into a period where we weren't thinking about it, and then we got to a period where, hey, you know, why don't you jot some thoughts down? And that came from Daniel Norwood, who said, hmm. start getting a list of, of who may you of who you would want to work with. And, of course, Pete was, in the back of my mind, the one that I had selected. Well, another one up for consideration was Buddy Baker. And Buddy, they had actually signed Buddy to the deal or was very close to signing, putting pen to paper to be my new co-host. 
and I'll never forget it. I le- it was the first Pocono race. I left. I got done with TMD on that Monday. Got in the rental car, and this was back when I was living in Atlanta. So I was heading back to the Philly airport to fly back to Atlanta. And I remember I was getting on 476 South to go down to the Philly airport. And I called Daniel. I was like, Daniel, I know who I want to work with. And I, that's Pete Pistoni. And Daniel goes, okay. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, um, we had a deal pretty close to being done with Buddy. But let me make a few calls. And he made a few calls and then called me back and said, Pete Pistone is going to be your new, your new co-host. But it was that close from not happening. Mm-hmm. Except Buddy Baker never sent us a Christmas card for as no. long as we knew him after that. Yeah. <laughs> nope. nope. No more Christmas cards. <laughs> well, he, he certainly became uh, beloved as, as part of a, a, a fixture on another show. And I would say seven years later, this, this clearly worked out really well for you guys and the channel. Had, had you ever worked together before that no. first time? No. Never have. Had you, no, had, I, did you know each other? I, I knew Mike peripheral. I knew his work, obviously, but I really didn't know him. And I didn't know really the MRN crew because I wasn't part of that world either. I was sort of just kind of uh, thrown into this with, with Mike. I didn't really know you. The closest we came to knowing each other was we were at a Japanese hibachi steakhouse in Martinsville, Virginia. Think about that for a second, by the <laughs> and, way. And uh, just pause on that. <laughs> And that's it frequently was, how connections are made in the NASCAR industry. Yeah, was, restaurants that's exactly around right. the country. Yeah. <laughs> ah, spinning egg. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, hey, throw it in right. the hat. Yeah. yeah. It was Moody. It was uh, Steve Post. It was me, uh, maybe a couple of other people. And we were on one corner of the grill table. Mm-hmm. And then at the other corner, I saw the Racing One folk. And Pete was one of them. But it's, we, didn't, we didn't, you know, mingle or anything. It's just I knew, I knew Pete. And mm-hmm. he was over there, but that's when that's the extent of us knowing each other before we started working together on the show. That was it, yeah. Pete, you mentioned that th- this morning show is more about that being b- being a morning show. It's not necessarily about NASCAR. Certainly, NASCAR is a central focus. Have you guys ever thought, like, if not that this is ever going to happen, and not that any of us would ever wish for this to happen, but it, but if for some reason you were to venture out into a non-NASCAR environment, could you, do you think you guys could do a, a show regardless of the format? I think we could because a lot of a morning show on any, like, top 40 station or something, I think is just a lot of pop culture and, and you know, reacting to things that go on in the world. Uh, we do that mostly, like you said, Nate, NASCAR-centric, but there's other things that go around I, I don't know. I think we could, Mike. I don't know about four mm-hmm. hours, but I, th- I think we could do it. <laughs> oh, I think we could do four hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you stop and listen to our show now, <laughs> yeah, we talk NASCAR, but we have this, the ADDA, however you want to call it, we get <laughs> distracted very easily. The ADDization, I don't know what the, what the technical term is. We'll be talking about one thing, and, and somebody will say, yeah, you know, and I was coming out of McDonald's after having, you know, an order of French fries on a Sunday, and I went on to the racetrack. And it's like, so what did you have on the Sunday? You know, <laughs> what order of fr- We could just go down that path. That's how we are in real life, and we bring in, you know, the pop culture references of music and TV shows. Seinfeld's a big part of well, what Pete watched, what I watched. So we bring all that together, and, it's, and, and I don't know if it, that is punctuated by NASCAR or the NASCAR is punctuated by that. <laughs> yeah. But depends, when you put depends. them together, people seem to like it, and we, we enjoy it as well. How would you describe each other's person? Obviously, the chemistry works because the, the personalities mesh in a certain way. How would you describe each other's personalities, on-air personas, and, and why they fit? I, you know what's funny? It's almost like we are sort of the same, right, in terms of what we, I think we both have upbeat personalities. 
I think we're both pretty quick-witted. You know, I think we like the fact that we have a fast-moving show and su- such. But not to get too personal, we are completely different in terms of our regular lives. I'm a family guy. I've got a, a daughter and, and a wife. I talk a lot about that on the air. Mike is the single guy, and, and he is going to New York for the weekends <laughs> and all that. Be at the stuff. W Hotel Memorial Day weekend. Exactly. I'm going to be here with 44 family members in my backyard asking me about how come their hamburger got burned on my grill. You know, it, it's so it, it's funny, Nate, because it's there are a lot of ways we're the same. I think, but I think a lot of ways we're the polar opposites. And I think, to be honest with you, Bagman, I believe a lot of that is why it works with us in the in, in the show in the morning. Well, the interesting thing about that is, yeah, we lead totally separate lives. However, those lives do cross. He'll come early to Dover or Pocono or whatever. He'll stay with me. We'll do the show from, from my home. And then there are times where I'll go to you know, Road America or someplace and, or Chicagoland, and I'll go in early. I'll spend the night in the guest room and spend time with I know the family, and the family knows me. So it's like, it's like our families have intersected as well. Out of just the camaraderie and the chemistry that we have on the air, we like you know similar things. We you know we're both techies. It's like over Christmas, I flew up and helped him wired his apartment or not his apartment, but his office um, and his man cave and all that, and spent some time with the family and had my birthday dinner with them this past. So it's like yeah, we we live and and lead totally different lives. But we have that chemistry. It's almost like we're like brothers from other mothers. It's like we're brothers that don't share the same last name. That's, and that's rare to find. That's very rare to find, whether it's an, in an on-air relationship or an off-air relationship. But it's special when you find it, though. Yeah, no question. And you can definitely hear it in, in the show when listening to it. And I think that is part of the appeal. I think the fun you guys have certainly sets the tone. But I think also... It's more than fair to say that, that the show has grown in influence over the, the, the past few years. And not to say it hasn't, that SiriusXM NASCAR writer ha- hasn't always been somewhat of a tastemaker in NASCAR since its inception in 2007. And certainly all the interviews that are on the channel um, on all the various programs, a lot of news gets made. But I feel as if the morning drive in particular, what you guys have done the last few years, you know, adding O'Donnell, Steve O'Donnell certainly made a difference here. But I think it's also based on maybe the time slot. You guys are perfectly positioned uh, from 7 to 11 a.m. every morning. The calls, the interviews, the analysis you offer. uh, I I feel like it sets the tone a lot of times for the industry and and for the news cycle for for that particular day. How how do you guys look at all that? Do Do you feel as if much of that rings true? Yeah, I do. Um, as far as, as just setting the tone, I mean, I don't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, your show is so huge, or, oh, it's, it's, it's gaining in popularity. It's very flattering to hear that. Um, you know, people say, hey, I listen to you all the time and, and all that, and that's, that, that's very nice and that's great to hear. Um, it's not anything that I set out to do personally. Pete can speak for himself, but it's not like, well, we're going to charge ahead and we're going to make this into this. Or we're going to make people listen to us. I think that if you, as a morning person, I don't want to get up and I don't want to get into a car and drive to work and listen to two guys that sound like either they just got out of bed, have no energy, have no idea what they're talking about, and don't know how to have fun. I wouldn't want to listen to that. I, I, I conduct myself, and I think Pete does and, and Do- Dominic and Sammy, our, our producers back in D.C., we all come together and, and we generate the same product because it's what we want to listen to. We, that's the experience that we want to have. 
there's I, I get up at four thirty five o'clock every morning, even though I'm not on the air until seven, just so my voice will be cleared out by the time I get on the air. Because I, before I got into morning radio, I listened to morning radio and would absolutely despise hearing the guy on the radio sound like he just rolled out of the rack. Because that's that's what makes me want to go back to bed. But if you set the tone with happy, upbeat, if you listen to our rejoin music when we come out of commercial break, we never play slow music. Maybe once every now and then if it's a bit that we're doing. Keep it upbeat, keep it light, keep it funny, but also inform, educate, and entertain. And, and I think that when you put everything together, it's a listenable product. And it's very flattering when people walk up and tell us that they listen to us every morning. Pete? Well, definitely, I think, Nate, from the industry standpoint, it is. It's very flattering. And, and I do think when we have people who are good enough to give us their time, like a Steve O'Donnell, like a lot of drivers, like when news breaks, I think that gets thrown into it because, to Mike's point, yeah, it's a morning show. And I'm with him. If I'm driving to work and, you know, thinking about the miserable day I've got ahead of me, I don't want to listen to two miserable people on the radio. But in terms of news and that kind of thing, I think the other thing that Mike and I have that I think are a little bit different than some of the other hosts that are together is when he's not doing this show, he's one of the best play-by-play turn announcers in the business. So he's got that perspective. I still write and do work for MRN.com, so I can – take it from that perspective write columns and those kinds of things and i think if you kind of tie those things into what we bring maybe that's why in the morning people inside the industry and and listeners as well just fans get a little bit of everything a little bit of just not a couple of guys coming in and just reflecting on the weekend i think we bring a little bit more to the table from the other things that we do as well i I don't think there's any question that that nascar executives listen to your program and listen to what callers are saying to gain a pulse of what is happening in their sport. I, I think this show is really good about keeping the finger on the pulse of, of what is happening in NASCAR. Do you, do you view the show in any sort of way from, from that perspective? And does that alter your approach at all, at, at, at it being a determinant of, of what people are going to be talking about and looking to the show to figure out what fans are going to be talking about? I don't look at it like we should watch what we're saying because and, – and I, I make jokes about this a lot sometimes, Nate, that sometimes what we say on the show in the morning just takes over the channel for the rest of the day. You know, we call up Jim Noble and Chocolate Myers before we go on with them and say, hey, sorry, guys, we talked about this for four hours. You're going to wind up talking about that for four hours. And then Moody's going to wind up talking about it for four hours. And Kenny, and it goes on and on and on. But I do think that this channel is – I totally agree with you. I think NASCAR executives listen to this channel a lot, which is great. And I do think that the fans have a voice. Quite frankly, Mike and I have sometimes reminded the fans that their voice maybe sometimes could be too loud, to be honest, right? I mean, we've had that conversation many times. And so, and you know, I mean, Nate, you've, you've pinched hit for us many times over the course of time. Sometimes the, the phone lines can tend to be a little bit whiny, if you will. And, and I think that you've got to be careful if you're a fan, I believe, of using that voice and using it wisely. And I think using it on this channel is a, is a big part of that. You know, we were very well aware that they listened to us uh, in Charlotte and Daytona Beach. And really, that's, that's flattering to us because that tells me that they value what we put out. And they value our listeners and our callers and the feedback and the tweets and the emails that we get. And they use that as a test like, uh, hmm, well, their boys are talking about this this morning. Well, what are the fans saying? And sometimes... We get fans that are on the way outer fringe, way <laughs> outer fringe. And I've, I've reminded fans sometimes, listen, you've got a captive audience. Don't waste, don't, don't waste that voice. Don't waste that breath. Don't waste that opportunity. 
you're calling to express an opinion. We're debating a topic or, you know, we're delving down into something of do you like double file restarts? Should we change the all-star race? What do you think about the chase when those times come? And when you call to give your feedback, be smart about it because there's somebody that is in that decision-making process listening to what you're saying on the air right now. You just don't know it. Now, with that said, I don't alter what I say about the sport. If the sport makes a mistake, I'm going to say they made a mistake. They're fine with that. They just want you to be fair. Don't go off half-cocked and say say things like, oh, you know, this one's that and this one's doing that, and I don't know what in the world they're thinking, they're, and start name-calling, getting personal and all that. They're, they rightfully get upset about that. But if, if you're fair and say, listen, here's my opinion, and this is why I have this opinion, they're not going to take you to task. And I've never been taken for task for that. And they understand and they realize that there are several opinions and several different voices out there. They're in the impossible position of putting all that together and – sifting out what's valid what's not and then going in a different course so basically the fans our listeners they fall in line that's another voice that nascar listens to along with drivers and owners and oems and things of that so um it's very flattering that they listen and and we try to put out good stuff and good conversation and good commentary and analysis so uh, not to influence the process but but make sure that when we have a conversation, we're educated, we know what we're talking about, and we can have a logical conversation about whatever topic that we have. That's well said, I think, by both of you. And it's, it's encouraging to hear that, that you know, the principles of, of journalism also apply to, to sports talk radio in the same yep. way. And that if you, if you give them the facts, if you lay it out, if be you responsible. Fair, yeah, then that's, that, that should be all that matters. Having said that, though, mm-hmm. I, I know oh, that here it comes. <laughs> the truth hurts. Ouch. <laughs> Telling the truth hurts at times. Uh, so, Bagman, you said you, you you haven't gotten in hot water. That's I'm I'm encouraged to hear that. But do you ever hear? Do you repeat ever hear from uh, people in the industry who may be a little miffed at a topic that came up or a question that came up or or anything about the program? Not not off the top of my head. I mean, there have been times over the years where it's like, hey, where'd that conversation come from? Hey, since when are we doing a focus group about this or that? And more times than not, when that happens, you've come in in the middle of what we're doing, so you missed, like, the opening, um, what do you call it, Pete? The prelude? No, not the prelude. The monologue. The, um, the monologue, the whatever. <laughs> Which is you not a monologue because there's two of us, but regardless. <laughs> you missed the epistle, whatever you want to call it, uh, and then you have to be mindful of going back and restating your, your, your position or, or clarifying your position depending on where the conversation goes. There have been people that have said, hey, you know, why'd you say that? Well, did you hear me say this? Oh, no. When I'm like, okay, well, I said this too. Oh, okay. But I haven't, I haven't had that issue. Now, I'm the lucky one on the crew. Because you had some people get twisted up with you, right, Pete? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have heard from some people at NASCAR. I mean, not like called on the carpet, but they've expressed their, I won't say dissatisfaction, but other view of my view. Right. So that's there. I'll tell you the other thing, you know, uh, I, I there are probably a couple of drivers or two who I'm probably not high on their list of favorites because when I'm asked to give an opinion, which I don't take lightly, I give an opinion and sometimes it's not completely complimentary to performance or, or behavior, if you will. So I just think that goes with the territory, Nate. And what's funny, I think the other difference that Mike and I have is that I have a, another a background of doing sports talk radio, general sports talk radio, and I sort of applied that to the NASCAR world as part of what I was able to bring to the table. 
And I think some of that sometimes, you know, you can talk about a team or a player or something, and maybe in the other world it's a little more of a vacuum. Well, here I think we're so close to the participants Mm -hmm. that sometimes it gets a little – a couple couple of times it gets a little frosty with some of the things that I might have said on the air. Well, we're we're both race fans. However, speaking of our differences, you know, Pete has grown up in a legendary sports city, an iconic sports city, a stick and ball city that features the Chicago Bulls, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Chicago Cubs, and the White Sox. And 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 when you when you are raised and you grow up in that environment. And in that city, and there are others, New York comes to mind, and there are other sports cities, you have a certain expectation, you view things a certain way, and when, when, when you're used to that, then when you go to another sport, I think some of that legacy thinking, I'll call it, is, is rolled down into this sport. And our sport is very unique in NASCAR in that you can make stick and ball analogies, but they're very selective about when you can and when you can't do it. Me, on the other hand, I didn't grow up like that. I grew up, this was my sport that I grew up with and, and was a fan of. Yeah, I casually followed baseball and football and all that stuff. But, I mean, I ate, drank, slept, and breathed NASCAR. And as a fan, my expectations are low. You know, I don't expect that NASCAR should do this, 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 or you know what, I'm leaving. I'm just like, I don't care. I sat in those wooden planked grandstands at Dover in 1975 when there was 15,000 people in the grandstands, and we ran 500 miles and loved every minute of it. Now these fans, they want 400, 300, 200, whatever, shorten the races. I was tickled to death to be at the racetrack. Yeah. So, right. so when you have his side and, and what he's used to on, on the sporting side, my expectations and what I'm used to, from my sporting experience, are two totally different things. So that's where the opposing, um, the opposing debate comes from. When, when, because Pete and I clashed on the air, we have in the past, yeah. and we will continue to do so. But I, my expectations are different than than Pete's, and my, my, his aren't wrong, and mine aren't wrong. They're just I, different. I, I have a little bit more of the challenging the powers that be mm-hmm. view. You know, to Mike's point, I mean, when you cover. A baseball team, you know, like I did with the Cubs, you, you question management. Why did they do that? You question the manager. Why do you make that move? I think I bring a little bit more to that to, to the show than maybe Mike does. Not that one's wrong and one's right, but I do right. think that to me, to right. a question you asked a while ago, Nate, that's another part of, I think, what makes the show work. There, there's, it's yeah. not the same view from two of the same guys, you know? That's, and that never. And the yang. Yes. And exactly. never at any point, if we're about to debate a topic, never at any time have we said, now, you take that position, I'll take this position, no, no. Just, the, just for the sake of having an opposing viewpoint to create debate. Yeah. There are times we have a thing called Fired Up Friday that we do that we'll throw out a topic, he'll give his opinion, I'll give mine. Sometimes we agree. A lot of times we agree, but there are times where we don't. And sometimes when we don't, depending on what's going on, that fiery Italian temper will kick in or <laughs> this bagman temper will kick in, and it's gotten dicey on the air a couple times. But we have passion for the sport. And we have opposing viewpoints based on differing expectations. Well, that's what matters. And, and that authenticity, I think, certainly comes through. It never sounds rehearsed, rehearsed. It never sounds orchestrated. It always sounds like it comes from a good place. And I think you guys have explained it well. It comes from who you are as people, what shaped you, what your backgrounds are. Uh, Pete, you know, on your front, like, I, I think it's good that occasionally you, you, you get into that hot water situation because if you are telling the truth if you are doing your job the the saying is sometimes that that means you are going to get in trouble you're going to make people angry because again the truth does hurt and you know bagman to your point like 
about being at those in those grandstands in Dover, those fifteen thousand people that were cheering then, and and having that perspective, which even I don't have. Like I'm, I'm hugely impressed by that, and sometimes I wish I had that kind of perspective, uh, especially when I filled in on the show and listen to four hours of callers sometimes who don't all have that perspective, as you mentioned. Yeah. What is that balance? We'll start with Bagman on this one. That balance between letting fans speak their views and shutting them down when they are completely out in left field, how do you strike it? Well, it, 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 that's a moving target for me because, I, I'll be honest, sometimes it, it's mood-driven. Sometimes it's for the sake of the show that we must move on from this. Or if you call up and you what you're presenting is just the absolutely most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, I'll tell you. And I'll be straight. And I've cut people off where we're like, look, son, you're a cup and saucer short of the full setting. Go back, regroup, call <laughs> us back later. Or we had a guy call us a couple of weeks ago with, with one of the most unbelievable, off-the-wall, like totally ridiculous things. And I'm choosing my words wisely here. And I'm just like – you got to go. It's like, don't call up and be stupid or dumb, okay? It's like, this is, let's have intelligent discourse here. Let's have intelligent conversation. Let's, let's debate these issues or, or let's carry this out without some of this. You know, when, when they say, well, what they should do at Talladega is knock down the bank and then let them run backwards and create a figure eight in the middle of the room. Okay, you know what? Goodbye. Well, that's what Tony Stewart <laughs> called us that day. There's right? no, he, he said that, didn't he? There's no reasoning <laughs> with that. You can't have a conversation no. or debate with that because if you're that – if you're all the way over here with that, and I'm right here, you can't bridge that gap. No, but you know, you can't. One, of the, one of the ways I think that we do what Mike said, if you have to shut people down, and, and Nate, I think this is even just not just to answer this question, but a bigger part of what I like about our show is a lot of the sound drops and things that we use, whether it be music or cuts <laughs> from TV shows or things. I love that kind of stuff. That was, again, how I was raised when I first started doing radio. Mike embraced it. Sammy Agee, our, our board operator, Dominic DeFruccio, our producer, that all kind of works together. So there's a way you could shut down a, a caller that might be a little bit out there without right. getting pissy with them, like, you know, just yelling at them. You can do it with a, a song or a response or something like that that's already pre-recorded. And I think there's another, that's another way we maybe approach things differently than other people. Yeah, but sometimes, sometimes some people just need to be shut down. Well, and understood. Thing, yeah, understood. I'll go in, you know, somebody will make a comment, and I'll go in and I'll correct them, and people will jump on me for that. But it's like, look, if we're going to talk about this, let's talk about this right. Let's have our facts in front of us. Yeah. Basically, How can you have a debate when you don't have facts? If, if you hear Mike say son in his response <laughs> before he even starts and finishes, you know you got some trouble coming. Yeah, you know where it's going. You know Son, going. let me tell you something. <laughs> well, regardless, I think you guys do find that right balance between Mike's sons and Sammy's drops and, and Pete's uh, Italian sarcasm. Uh, there's no question you guys do, do find that, that, that right balance, I think. Um, when you're doing the interviews, uh, what do you feel like the role is there? I mean, are, are you always looking for news? or And, and as again, as it's... I, Reuse your stuff on NASCAR America on NBCSN quite frequently. Certainly the O'Donnell interviews. Does has your perception of how people consume the interviews changed at all? Is there is there still an element of fun that needs to be had in those as well, or or are those more about eliciting information? I think it's both. I think it's both, uh, and we can use Steve O'Donnell as a perfect example. Steve comes on, and I appreciate his candor, and he knows. And we said this. If there's a question and something happens from the weekend that we have to ask, and you might consider it a quote-unquote tough question, we're going to ask it. And I think we do 
have a responsibility, Nate, both Mike and I. And I think we both uh, agree with that, whether it's Steve, whether it's anybody from the sanctioning body, whether it's a driver who was involved in something or a team owner or a crew chief. But to your point, I think if you listen to any of those interviews, even in the toughest times where we've had issues and challenges that I felt like we really had to answer, or we had to ask questions to get answers, and yes, report news, I still think we find a way to have an element of fun in there. I really do. Yeah. I think we can put the... I would hope that anybody that comes on our show, for the most part, 90% of them would understand that they are going to make some news probably because what they're saying, they're an important figure or we wouldn't have them on the show. But they're going to do it in an environment that we think that they will enjoy being part of. And I think, I think, Mike, over the seven years we've been together, I feel a lot of that from people that come on our show. I don't go into an interview hoping to break news or hoping to make news. I go into an interview asking questions what people at home want to know based on what I want to know. Tell me the why. Tell me the how. Why did you do that? What was the mindset there? What was the, what was the level of, of thinking on this? Or, or how did this make you feel? I also go in for uh, the off-the-beaten-path stuff because I think that bridges the gap between fan and competitor. I agree. I'll ask somebody, hey, what do you got in your iPod right now? Or, hey, what you watch on TV last night? Or, what's your morning regimen? What do you have for breakfast? You know, A.J. Elmendinger eats peanut butter and toast for breakfast. You know, he's not sitting down with a, you know, three-egg omelet and, you know, maitre d' service and all that. Ah, you know, I had a couple of yogurt this morning. You know what? And, and it's like it may not be a glorious answer, but someone out there probably says, oh, my God, I had the same thing. He's just like right. me. Or I'm just like him. Or I'm just like her. Or she's like me. Now, there are times, though, that you have friendships in the garage and you have to ask hard questions. And the one that immediately comes to mind is I'm, I'm good friends with Ron Hornaday Jr., had mm -hmm. been for over 20 years. He's one of the first drivers I ever interviewed and met in the truck series when it came online back in the mid-'90s. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a relationship with him and his wife and his children. And that day at Rockingham when he punted Bubba Wallace, that was on the heels of when he had gotten punted by Kyle Busch. And I, uh, I called Ron before the interview, and, I'm and I, I just told him, I said, Ron, you and I have been great friends for a while, but you're going to come on our radio show tomorrow, and I have to do my job, and I'm going to have to ask you some hard questions. And he's like, that's fine, that's fine, it's all good. So he comes on the air, and right out of the box, I hit him with it between the eyes, because that, I asked the question that everybody wanted to know, and it was a hard question to ask. My question to Ron, right out of the box, was what is different with what you did to Bubba Wallace at Rockingham yesterday than what Kyle Busch did to you at Texas. And I just laid it out there. Right. And, I, 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 and I told Ron, I'm like, there are issues on the table that need to be dealt with before we get to the pleasantries. This is the question that everybody wants to know. Sometimes, or the answer that everybody wants to hear. Sometimes you have to ask that question to get that answer just to move on. And it's a hard question. Sometimes it's a very delicate position mm -hmm. to be in but it's also how you ask the question as well I went straight hardcore for that because that's the way Ron and I talk to each other but there are some ways you know it's all about how you position the question how you ask it but still ask the question fairly and I think that's what everybody um, asks for and I think that's what everybody when they come our, on our show expects and subsequently receives I think I think Nate to be honest this it's no different in sports talk radio than it is for a writer like yourself or doing television it's about relationship building. I mean, it really is. Um, but I think it gets to a point, to Mike's point, where, I, I mean, you don't ever want to get so close to your subject that you can't cover it objectively. And I think that's a little bit of a fine line that sometimes you have to walk. 
But on the other hand, I think if you're fair with people, bottom line is they understand that. And I think in Mike's example there, that was a, a great way of, of going about it. Mike, Mike and Ron have known each other forever, but he answered that question because he knew he had to be asked that question. That's all very well said, I think, and I, I appreciate you guys indulging all of that philosophical discussion. I know that's some touchy stuff. Uh, we can move on to a little bit of the funner stuff. I want to ask about some of the, the, the stuff about the show. Um, what is you, you guys mentioned Fired Up Friday. I, I think that's a terrific segment. I am a big fan of Mike's calendar adjudication. <laughs> uh, what, what has worked and what hasn't, and how did those elements become part of the show? Um, um, tell, tell, tell the, the calendar story is funny, Nate, because we were literally this close to killing it because we heard from people that they didn't like it. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's that, quite, quite funny. Management wasn't management part of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we decided to keep doing it. And for whatever reason, it's sort of taken on a well, life of its own. Didn't we stop for a little bit? And I think people we did. all of a sudden asking like, what happened to the calendar? Where's the calendar? Yeah. Where's the calendar? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I thought you guys didn't like this. And because we started it. It, and then we nixed it, and then we brought it back, and then now that's like a staple. That's where we stop everything. And I go on to a website, and I, I pull off the events of the day, and I highlight them, and I select ones that sometimes are legitimate. Well, they're all legitimate, but some that are, are a straight-up read. Some, if I know that Sammy's got a drop or we can find a drop, I'll select that one just so we can play the soundbite or we can – do certain things, and and Sammy's done a great job of, of exploring his horizons and subsequently our horizons on the show and start to – it's like, for instance, uh, one of the things we've done recently is there, a lot of this time of year back in the day, Sherman's march to Atlanta and, and points east was beginning. Well, all of a sudden, I go to read that one day, and he just drops in, burn, baby, burn, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, people got – People like that kind of stuff. They 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 you know they think it's funny. The one that didn't that didn't fly though was we did a thing called Child Please. We have this uh, drop from Ocho Cinco, Chad Johnson of uh, we used to play with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the New York or the New England Patriots. Um, and he uh, Sammy found this thing of him saying Child Please. Well, we started this bit, come up with something outrageous, and then hit the soundbite. That lasted for what? Yeah, Maybe that, that one or two work. times. That yeah. didn't. That didn't work. So we moved on. And yeah. there, there have been others too. Yeah. I mean, the ideas for segments, to be honest with you, have been just kind of like I got an idea driving somewhere. Mike mm-hmm. got an idea in the shower. I mm-hmm. love the calendar because I'm I just be honest, completely honest with you. It gives me 15 minutes to sit here, drink coffee, and do what I do best: just be a wise ass. I mean, that's all I have to do. And sometimes <laughs> none, none of that's that rehearsed. Break is- None of that's rehearsed, just so everybody knows. No. You rattle no. that off, I respond, you make a joke back, and Sammy hits a drop. That's how that works every day of the week. I print off the calendar, and I then mark it up with all the stuff, and then I scan it, and then I put it on a shared drive that we have in Dropbox or a shared folder that we have in Dropbox. Sammy pulls it off, and he does his thing. You know, he, He's prepping that before we do it at 845 Eastern. Pete does not know it's in that calendar. I, I never, never share with him ever anything at all that's in that calendar because I, I want his raw reaction from right. from that stuff um and it's it, and when we miss it it's like, now we do have an agreement we now there's another thing you're probably going to bring up bang the drum yeah on fridays <laughs> todd, todd yeah. rundgren yeah there's yeah. this so- song by todd rundgren bang the drum all day yeah and i actually got that idea from our friends at nbc 10 in philadelphia when they used to have their bonus hour show um they had this thing they signed off every friday with that entire show, song with bloopers and outtakes from the news station. And it's like, you know, that's a great song. That's a toe tapper. And it's like, 
And I don't know, one day I just said, bang it up. And, and for whatever reason, that stuck. And everybody, when are we banging the drum today? Daryl Waltrip, you know, on Twitter, when are we banging the drum right. today, boys? It's like, that's one of those right. staples that people have gotten used to that we just swerved into. And then now it's like we couldn't stop it even if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Right. But Another we one do not do it. Yeah. We do yeah. not do the drum banging and the calendar when we both aren't together. Like if, if there's a replacement right. host that fills in for Pete, yeah. we don't do the calendar that day. Right. Or if I'm off on a Friday, we'll move that like to a Thursday and Pete will not do it in my absence. We, those are the two things that will be done when we're all together or when Pete and I are together. Right. Never do them separate. Right. I like think, I think like, that is wise because I would not be able to offer – me or anyone else would be able to offer any of the, the, the sort of witticisms that, that Pete can offer playing off a of bagman on those, those calendar notes. <laughs> I also think that that, that part of the – that segment comes at the perfect part of the show, that halfway mark when two hours up, two hours ahead, and, and I think it, it resets everything really well. I, who Speaking of that, of, of those staple segments that you have, obviously another one is uh, – uh, Thin Lizzy and Jailbreak was it, it, Does that date to the pool date? That goes to back yes. to the pool. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What I so that's uh, end of the week on Friday. Or if somebody's taking a day off, we let to uh, jailbreak them a little early the next day for the next. Yeah, day. Right on. Yeah. yeah, that's our uh, the jailbreak as we're getting ready to start our weekends <laughs> or our vacations. And it's time to get the hell out of here. See ya. That is fast approaching for Bagman. So we'll just we'll, we'll go through a few more here. You mentioned Sammy and Dom uh, and and the roles they play. Uh, I know I've heard both of you say Sammy runs a tight board. I know that <laughs> Dom does yeoman's work and and not just taking the calls, but lining up the guests and 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 doing the overarching format each day. Uh, the, the roles that those guys play, even though they're not on air, how how essential is it to the program? Oh. I think it's very essential. Key. It's key. Very key. Very key. very key. Because. They put the show again. We have a pretty much of a, I would say, not a fast and hard four-hour segment show. You know, we we are a little more, I think, loose than other shows are. But booking guests, putting together the reads, the sound, the music, and all of that. That and being able to, you know, the other thing that we do is is that we do let those guys chime in because I think they are a part of the show. They're they they have a voice on the show, and I think our listeners like that. And it doesn't always work. It hasn't always worked, quite frankly, in the years we've been together with the whole four that are together. This foursome, I believe, Mike, is the tightest one we've ever had. I think mm-hmm. it's the show. I believe the show reflects it, it. I really do. Well, I mean, when you look at all that we do, and it's like there, there are things that we do on the air that you don't really know about. There's a lot of behind the scenes. Like, for instance, when we do like a Steven Singer read or a Smithfield read or Napa read, well, that's got to get into my hands somehow. And Dom has this um, – Dom, short for Dominic, um, has this, we call it a show map, where it starts out with a grid. We've got 16 squares on it, and it's separated by hour. And, you know, we have news cuts in there that Dom pulls and puts in there. We've got, you know, the ticket read where we give away tickets. We've got, you know, if we're having a guest on, Dom gives us prep work for that. So, you know, Dom does a lot of legwork that nobody knows about and that a lot of producers could take a lot of lessons from because, number one, you have to establish the rapport with the PR folks. Subsequently, by visiting with these drivers and owners and these industry personnel, you get to develop relationships yourself and maintaining those relationships and maintaining you know, good relations with, with the PR folks is key because that's what helps with the guest booking. Well, then it's like, well, what about show topics? It's like there are some days like in the winter, we, uh, we're getting ready to go in the air. We're like, we've got nothing to talk about. Dominic will sit down and come up with some topics. Hey, guys, what do you think about this? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. 
So while Sammy has the expertise on the board, Dominic has the expertise on the other side of the glass to execute the producing of the show, maintain the relationships, coordinate the guests. Because sometimes, you know, Nate, you go to coordinate with the driver sometimes, they'll change it on you three, four, five, six, seven times, and then we're in the middle of something else. Then they'll call late. So it's like Dom manages all that. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's and the, he has more responsibilities as well. You know, we've got on-demand stuff that we do. I mean, we've got all this work that goes on behind the scenes. Everybody just hears the four hours that we do Monday through Friday, seven to eleven. But there's way more work that goes on behind the scenes, and Dominic does a large chunk of that. No question, uh, those guys do a great job behind the scenes. Uh, the best interview you feel you guys have ever had? I think one of the best ones was the very first time we had Roger Penske on. Um, it's a story we tell on the air a lot that Mike and I had just started working together. We were both assigned to cover the Michigan race. I was there to write, and he was there to do the MRN broadcast, and we were in the garage, and here comes Roger Penske out of the garage, and Mike says, here he comes, and I go, want to go talk to him? And he says, yes, and I said, you sure? Because I I sort of chickened out. I was going to chicken out. So Mike walks up with his gregarious personality. I got no shame. I'll roll he, right you up know, Bagman. <laughs> Roger, how are you? You didn't call him son, but you you know you were close. And uh, we introduced ourselves. And Roger, in his great voice, who we like to impersonate a lot on our show, says to us, "Hello, boys. Are you holding it down? I know you are." And so from there, boom, we asked him. Mike asked him if he would come on our show, and he said, "You know, I'm going overseas. I'm going to be there for a couple of weeks." Why don't you give Mary Lou, his personal assistant, a call, hands us his business card, and we said goodbye, and I said to Mike, there's no way Roger Penske's going to be on our show. He was just being nice, right? <laughs> sure enough, he came back from overseas, what, 10 days later, yep. had, him, had him on the show, and I, to, to this day, uh, and, and I'm not trying to short anybody that we've had over the years we've worked together, that was my favorite and best interview that I think that we've had. Yeah, and we, we've, had, we've had a few like that over the years. Just in general – a good interview or one that makes the best category is talking to someone iconic and they let you in. Right. Yeah. Athletes, athletes are programmed to give you what they want you to have. If you can get past the gate, if you can get inside and you can, you can establish that rapport and that camaraderie, you're going to get the fun stuff. You're going to get that behind-the-scenes peek. It's like, hey, what would you eat for breakfast this morning? Hey, where would you, do, where'd you spend Thanksgiving? Are you a fisherman? What are you, freshwater, saltwater? Whatever it is, if you can establish that, that rapport and, and that interview subject will give you more than the talking points that they want to give or have been directed to give, and they give you the personal side, to me, that is a best interview to be remembered and, and, and flagged. I mean, I, yeah, I know you had 12 top 10s here. I know you've done this. I know you've done that. Well, I want to know what you feel about this. What do you think about that? And mm-hmm. to me, if they play ball with you and then you can maintain that while, while you know, inside the parameters of the interview, you don't want to go overboard. I mean, there have been times where we've had interviews with people that were supposed to be 12 minutes. Next thing you know, it's 19 minutes in. It's like, oh, my God, we've got to go to a break. Right. You get so wrapped up in conversation and, and you're so wrapped up in – in talking with that person based on what they're giving you in return. Don't give me the, yeah, Mike, my, my, my sponsor is, 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 you know, doing this this weekend and I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be doing that. Give me a little something different. And Roger Penske gave us that that day. And yeah, we've had others that have come through that have given us the, the peek behind the curtain or, or not necessarily the behind the scenes, but give the honest answer and, and give the thoughtful answer. And don't try to, don't try to, you know, puff air up anybody's britches it's just be be yourself 
but be open, be honest, and you know, be human. That's the biggest thing. Be human because that's what relates you to our audience. I go back and forth on what's more difficult, being interviewed or doing the interview. And <laughs> uh, sometimes I think it is the latter. Sometimes you know, asking the right questions, getting people to find that, you know, finding that way to gain them to, to unlock those those things that help so much in storytelling. And then on top of that, you guys are in a live setting. Everybody's hearing everything you say it's not like me when i'm writing a story and i'm doing you have a backspace key we don't exactly i can throw (laughs) away a question or i can pretend that i never asked that question you guys can't Mm -hmm. and speaking of that uh certainly there are those 12 minute interviews that go 19 minutes uh i didn't do my homework as well as i should have but i know that there are also those 15 minute interviews that go 90 seconds Mm -hmm. i i seem to recall there were i can't remember her name was there a supermodel or an actress? Jordana who- Brewster. Jordana Brewster was promoting uh, the Fast and the Furious 28 or whatever level. <laughs> I don't remember how many they made. So she came on, uh, it, much to the behest of Bagman and I, because I w- had seen her interviewed before and wasn't a fan. I was off that day. Oh, you, you did say you were off. somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, was I, I there that You day? were there, Nate. It was me and I you, actually. Was, man, that yes. tells you how forgettable it was. I it can't was. Even remember the interview or the person who she, did, it, we did it with. It was at Chicagoland Speedway, and she gave – I got this – remember, we got this whole bill. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she's a, she's a beautiful woman, but, you know, that doesn't mean she's going to be a good radio personality. Every question we asked her got six seconds, and that was it. And she was yes. done literally in two Ugh. minutes' time. That was awful. Ugh. Awful. Awful. You know, you get – it's like you know when somebody wants to play ball. She did and not. And quite frankly, no. if if you don't want to play ball, I don't want to talk to you. And so it's right. like, okay, you know what? You come on. It's like after the third or fourth question that I've asked you, and you give me a two or three word answer, we're mm-hmm. done. Yeah, we're not getting anything out of this. This is not entertaining to listen to. We're not going to learn anything with two or three word answers. And quite frankly, there are some times where either people aren't morning people, which has always amazed me. If you're not a morning person, then why are you going to schedule yourself to go on a morning show? <laughs> or People are just doing other things. I hate it when the interview subject is on a speakerphone. Pick right. up the phone. Come on now. Right. I'm begging you. Yeah. Just when you get to the point of diminishing returns, it's time to cut it and roll on. And that, we've had to do that a handful of times. It's like we've had to reboot the show every now and then. We'll, we'll get halfway through a segment. We're like, no, 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 no. We can't. We can't start like this. So we just start the show <laughs> we've all over. We've done that. Again. Yeah, we've done that. Just hit the open. Let's just try this yeah. again. You yeah. know what? All right. Yeah. You know what? Let's stop. Let's regroup. <laughs> let's take a breath and step back. You know, fire that, fire that open again. Let, you know, let, let's just ignore this whole first five minutes that just happened. <laughs> Are sometimes the most awkward moments the best moments? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I'll know, Nate? Because I get people like you texting me in the middle of the show. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, pal. Yeah, awesome for you. We are, uh. we are heralded for sharing our personal lives and, and things that we do. But at the same time, I think we share too much. Sometimes. And it's just in the middle of conversation. For instance, um, we had a show the other day where I had to go. I had to leave the show immediately. Well, I had to change my clothes, and I was trying to do it. And two minutes and 30 seconds is not a lot of time to get all this unwrapped and rewrapped. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of getting dressed. I've gotten undressed. I was getting in the middle of getting dressed, and I'm like, I'm like leaning in, trying to bring us out of break, and we're getting ready for our final <laughs> segment. So we do crosstalk with the next show, Jim Noble and Chocolate Myers. Well, I just stepped out of the camera shot because we're hooked up by webcam. We can see everybody. I just changed clothes. Well, in the subsequent show, I said – well, just to let you know, in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I did crosstalk nude yesterday for just a moment. Well, of course, here come the tweets, and here come you know everybody. And what? What are you talking about? It's those awkward moments that produce hilarity, 
And then I think. Well, I don't know about hilarity for that moment. I don't know about that one. Hey, you know what? For you, it was maybe. was out of camera shot, though. Thank goodness. Thanks. But anyways, things like yeah. that. Yeah. We, things we do, things we say, things we buy, or experiences in travel or whatever seem to entertain people, and they enjoy relishing in our demise at that moment. Well, we're, we're and, and people, <laughs> people have probably figured this out, Nate. We're, we're not in the same place every morning. When we travel and do remotes, no. we are. But Mike's at his place. I'm at my place. The guys are in the Beltway Bureau, and we all connect with video cameras so we can kind of see each other and know what one of But we're, we're only together when we travel the races, which is maybe, you know, I would say together we're probably six, seven, eight times a year. But for the most part, we're in our own studios in different parts of the country. Right. And sometimes fully exposed so, obviously, on the yeah. accompanying But out of camera cams. shot. <laughs> you would just never know when listening to the morning drive if I'm wearing pants. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just one I'm of the kidding. People listen clearly. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. Is uh, he clothed today? <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've talked about all the awkward and embarrassing moments, um, which apparently were the best moments, but I'll I'll attempt to end here on on a on a moment of letting you guys revel in what makes the show great. Uh, what's what, what do you think the best moment has been that the show has had in the seven years you guys have done this together? Hmm. I think some of what. You know, if we can look back on the show, we had a good time. You know, I mean, we get we get an idea of we we, we get during a show like, man, that, that was a fast show. Like our Monday shows are fast because we're recapping, we're playing audio, we're playing highlights, and it's interactive. You know, with the fans and the listeners and all that. I, I you know, I think some some of our best times have come from unscripted moments, from just the camaraderie that we share, the energy that our show has. And it's all about having fun. To me, that's what creates the good recipe. If we're having fun, you know when you're, when, when you're about to walk into a, a, a jail cell. You know, I mean, you listen to any radio show that is very somber, is very boring. It's like that's not the kind of radio we put out. If we can put out good radio, if we can have an upbeat show, laugh a little bit, have a good time, educate folks, to me – that's the good stuff, and that's what we do the best. Yeah, I would echo that. And, and you know, Nate, it's, I'm not trying to skirt the question, but after seven years, there it really I can't think of one moment that stands out, but there are certain kinds of moments that reoccur. And one of them is I just alluded to. I like when we're together on the road and we get to go out and into the garage and mingle. I think if you're listening, that brings a different perspective to the weekend, you know, on a Friday to kick off the racing weekend. And I also like the fact that it's been a tradition, and this dates back to when Mike and David Poole did the show, that the person that wins the championship comes on the show that next Monday morning. And having an opportunity, you know, after all of what went on the night before dies down and that person usually has been up all night or whatever and really sort of be maybe the first media outlet that they speak to, I really revel in that. I mean, I think we've got some really interesting perspective from – Kyle Busch this past year and Jimmy Johnson when he went on those runs and Kevin Harvick. I love those shows the day after. We're still in Homestead while everybody's packed up and gone home and we're still there. But when you get to talk to that champion after they've had some time to process everything that went on the night before, I think those are really special shows. So, so I'll look forward to that one again coming up in November. We will as well, Pete. That's another example. Again, I think you guys do really set the tone for the industry. Uh, we'll continue to look forward to, to listening to the shows, both for the insight, the the news, the the humor, uh, Bagman not wearing pants, all of please, those. And, please, please. Um, I know Pete's got to go cook several dozen burgers on the grill. Bagman's yep. got a train to catch to New York and Midtown Manhattan uh, to enjoy his Memorial Day weekend. I really appreciate you guys making so much time. I know it was an early start to the day, as it always is, and for you guys to put in this extra hour at the end of it. 
Much appreciated. Thanks for being here. Oh, well, thank pleasure. you thank for you. taking time out of your schedule to join us every week to provide your insight on your side of the journalistic aisle, so to speak. So we we value what you give us on TMD. We consider every, you part week. of the TMD team, yeah. to be honest with you, Nate. I <laughs> you're mean, part of the family. You're, part, you're, you're there on every Thursday, and you're fill-in guy. So, yeah, we appreciate you giving the opportunity here to uh, be on a – this is my first podcast, by the way. I'm very excited is about it? it. Yeah, I've never been on a podcast before. It's quite fun. I'm, and I, I, it is. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of my element right now. Number one, I'm not used to being interviewed, and then now I'm on a podcast. And it's like, hmm, with the legendary Nate Ryan. Yes. Oh, right, indeed. Uh, well, hey, a I, I, I pleasure is all mine that I've been able to be uh, on part of the program for 10 years. And, uh, again, I'm glad I was able to convince you guys to come on here and do this. I think a lot of people will find this very insightful. So Cool. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks again, guys. Our thanks to Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni for joining us here on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Of course, you can check out their program every day, 7 to 11 a.m. on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. That's the morning drive. They do a great job. We are joined now by Christopher Lees, who is the researcher for NBC Sports and handles a lot of our NASCAR work, does a lot of our behind-the-scenes statistical uh, research and does a great job with us and and keeps us up to date on what's happening on all fronts in terms of putting things in perspective from a numbers perspective. So, uh, Chris, I know uh, the Indy 500, the, the win by Alexander Rossi really struck you and uh, you had some interesting uh, perspective on that from the from the, the uh, statistical side in terms of a rookie winning that race. Tell us about uh, what you know there about Al- Alexander Rossi's win. Well, hey, Nate, uh, great to be back on the, on the podcast. always like to uh, stop by and uh, talk numbers uh, with you uh, whenever I get a chance. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Rossi Lingus, it was just very interesting to me. I mean, just the, I mean, the overall performance he had and then he was great and how he drove that car to victory on on the final 36 laps on just one tank of fuel. It'll go down as one of the best stories. And in the, you know, for years to come. But what struck me is, you know, they called him the 10th rookie to win the Indy 500. And so I started looking back at the previous rookies who done it. And let me just say, when you win the Indy 500 in your debut there, I don't care who you are, it's a big deal. But this is what really, you know, kind of got to me a little bit. And I wanted to explore this further. Now, when... The previous two rookies who won there, going back the last 50 races, was Elio Castroneves in 2001 and Juan Pablo Montoya in 2000. Now, both of those men were already established IndyCar guys. It was during the, the IRL car split that happened in 1996. Montoya came into Indy as the reigning car champion. And Castro Neves came in his Indy 500, uh, his first Indy 500, having won at Long Beach just a month earlier on the cart tour. So to really call those guys rookies, almost to me like it's doing a disservice to the term. And if you go further back, now, you go back to 1966 when Graham Hill won it Indy, they called him, they called him a rookie. But he had already won a championship in Formula One and had finished second three other times in points. 
he was already established as one of the great up-wheel drivers in Europe, in the world, for that And I went even further back to Louis Meyer in 1928. Now, it was his first start in Indy, but he had all, he appeared in the Indy 500 in 1927 as a relief driver for Wilbur Shaw and actually raced 41 laps during during that event. So we had to call the Meyer a rookie who went on who won the 1928 race and added two more wins, arguably the greatest Indy 500 driver of the pre-World War II era. To me, it's just, it, to me, it just doesn't sound right. So right. the last pure, pure rookie in my research to have won this race was George Souders in 1927. And it's a very, and Souders has a very interesting story. Here's a guy from Lafayette, Indiana, who goes in, wins the Indy 500 in this rookie season, racing on the old AAA circuit, which is essentially what IndyCar is now. The next year, he gets injured, finishes third at the 500 in 1928, the one Louis Meyer won, and then gets injured in a race soon thereafter, and his career's over. Now, Sauter basically has never heard from again. You know, he went on to work, you know, some, you know, odd jobs here and there, working at a gas station as a repairman, even as a janitor, and pretty much lived a quiet life after that. And uh, I, I found an article back in 2010 that focused on Sauter's. He got a great quote for him said, hey, I made thousands of dollars in my career, but I spent it. So he basically... <laughs> Kind of lived a very quiet life after he won the Indy 500, and to me, that's the last true rookie prior to Alatrasi to win this race. Wow! So you have to go back pretty much 89 years to find somebody really who who matches up with Rossi's level of experience and and everything compared. Because you're right. I mean, saying that really Montoya was a rookie or Castro Neves that's that's somewhat specious. I mean, Rossi's a guy who comes in not knowing hardly anything about running ovals as of a couple of months ago uh, with all the time he spent immersed in Europe and road racing circuits circuits and trying to pursue Formula One. Uh, I, I think you're right. I, I think you have to find somebody who had virtually no experience coming in Indy, and, and you're saying that hasn't happened since That's a neat story, Chris. Appreciate you uh, digging that up, and that's certainly uh, all the the hullabaloo over over Alexander Rossi being uh, what I think I saw Kirk Cavan, the Indianapolis Star writer, say was the most unlikely winner in the 100th edition of that uh, storied race, the Indianapolis 500. But uh, perhaps a case could be made for a man from Lafayette from 1927 as well. I think that's that's pretty cool. That it, it it does seem as if, given how many editions of that event have been run, it would be hard to to do something that had never truly been done or to, or to be measured or or analyzed or categorized as as unprecedented uh, as as it seems like Alexander Rossi's 
win certainly uh, is is being uh, done. Although it, it it was very impressive that that he was able to win his first start. And one more thing on starters, Nate. We speak you and I, and I know we're we're taping this on May thirtieth, twenty sixteen. This day is the 89th anniversary of Souders win at Indian 27. Ah, well, that's appropriate then. Um, the other uh, thing I want to bring you in on, Chris, is is Martin Truex Jr.'s. It, un, that certainly was an unprecedented win in the Coca-Cola 600. Truex leads 392 laps, uh, gets his first victory of the 2016 season and breaks through after dominating on so many mile-and-a-half tracks this season. NASCAR afterward, of course, uh, confirmed that it was a Coca-Cola 600 record. Uh, shattering the, the previous mark of, of 335 laps led by Jim Pascal in 1967. Truex also set a record for most miles led in a NASCAR race, 588. But uh, I understand, Chris, you have a, a stat that he came close to almost breaking another record that was once held, or there, that is held by uh, Ernie Irvin. Well, yes, I look back into my, and I keep my... Uh... And I'll call it on the unofficial record, but I verified this with all my NASCAR uh, history books and stats and what have you. So I'm, I'm pretty accurate on, on these on these numbers. Uh, the Ernie Irvin, when you're, let me go back. On October 1993, we got the fall race at Charlotte. Ernie Irvin, we. 328 of the first 334 laps uh, Sunday at Charlotte, but then of course it goes another uh, 100 miles after that, and it, I guess it probably came down to those those two laps that Jimmy Johnson led around that final restart. That was probably the difference that kept Truex from from breaking that record that Ernie Irvin uh, holds. You know, I heard something in the broadcast, and you know, I'll, and I'll confirm this, you know, later in the week when the official. Uh, when the official uh, report, come, race report comes down from NASCAR, the thing, they said that lap, that pass of Johnson, that Johnson had on Truex, was the first green flag pass of the lead of the whole, whole race. But somebody passed Truex under racing conditions. Uh, that was the first time he got past the lead all day. Yeah, that was clearly a dominant performance. Uh, a lot of credit goes to him and the Furniture Row Racing Team for being so good on mile-and-a-half tracks and certainly a deserved place in history for what they did. Uh, Chris, I always enjoy having you on. I uh, appreciate you bringing some some statistical nuggets, and uh, we'll look forward to doing this again soon and, and hearing what else you can uh, put in perspective for us. It was a great weekend, Nate. I hope everyone enjoyed it. I know I sure did. It was you know on the edge of my feet 
all day on Sunday from Monaco to Indy to Charlotte. Really Christmas, Christmas Day for older sports fans. <laughs> that it is, especially those who like numbers. Thanks again, Chris. Our thanks again to Chris Lees for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. And again, we appreciate Mike Bagley and Pete Bastoni carving out so much of their time as well. Thanks to Tess Quinlan for producing the podcast. This episode and all of the rest are available on Stitcher, thanks to Tess. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. We'll have another new episode next week. I'm superstitious, so I don't want to jinx it. But I do have a Sprint Cup driver lined up, someone you've heard of, someone who's a past champion. So stay tuned for that. And we'll have some more of our NBC Sports talent in upcoming episodes as well. Chris Devota and Rick Allen are on the docket in the future as we get ready for NBC's return to broadcasting Sprint Cup and Xfinity races at Daytona in early July. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.